Broadcasting live from General Grievous' original voice, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. If you're a regular listener to the show, you might notice that Ricardo is not joining us for this episode. Uh, He's actually taken a step back from the show, but we thank him for all of the contributions he's made to the show thus far. And we wish him all of the luck. Absolutely. Yeah, we wish him the best for sure. Uh, Do you want to jump right into the news then? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. And first of all, a week ago from when this episode drops, so last Sunday was the 93rd Annual Academy Awards, which I think was like, it was a very weird ceremony in general, obviously, I honestly preferred it to the normal Academy Awards. I mean, I have been... I've pretty much dropped the Oscars for the last couple of years. Uh, did they do it, like, Zoom style, like they did with the Golden Globes? No, they they had it at um, Union Station in L.A., and so it was, like, much smaller and cas- more casual, and they were sitting in, like, booths like they were at a comedy oh. club. <laughs> I gotta like that, sure. Yeah, it was cute. It was, And uh, it was, I understand, like, a 58% ratings drop from previous years. Jeez, that's I think, huge. I think that has more to do with COVID than it has to do with the change in venue or anything like that, because I actually did think these were pretty entertaining and low-key in a way that the Academy Awards are usually not but but let's go ahead and talk uh winners and snubs and stuff because as predicted you know nomadland took home just the slew of awards including uh best actress for Frances mcdormand uh best picture for nomadland and best director for chloe zhao making her the second ever woman to win the best director academy award honestly man you you called this one Pretty much, I think, all the way back when you rec-centered this film weeks ago. And, you know, I haven't seen it yet, but I... Pretty much just on your word, I've been wanting to see it. And now it's won the most prestigious award in Hollywood. I mean, however hollow that is from the Academy. But I've heard nothing but fantastic things about Nomadland and Zhao. Chloe Zhao is how you say that? Chloe Zhao. Yep. Uh... You know, exceptionally impressive uh, from her, especially because, I mean, what I really am looking forward to from her is her entrance into the MCU coming up, which is a lot of what people are talking about, how that kind of prestige might inject itself into the superhero franchise that we know so well. Well, I think definitely the reason that Hulu bought Nomadland is because Disney's trying to push that Chloe Zhao brand oh as my hard as they can. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. That wait, that's a Hulu exclusive right now? Yeah, they they bought the rights. They bought the distribution rights. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, well, I guess that makes a lot of sense, but I think you can see it in a theater in some places maybe, but mostly you can watch it on Hulu. Uh I'm more excited about her Dracula movie, to be honest, but... Hey, man, I you can't go wrong with a, a good take on... I guess you can definitely go very wrong on a take on Dracula, but... <laughs> <laughs> see most Dracula movies. Yeah, see Dracula Dead and Loving It, a film I have never seen. Hey, don't do that to <laughs> Leslie Nielsen. Oh, I hold nothing against Leslie Nielsen. But uh, there were some subs in here, including... Uh, I mean, Chadwick Boseman's family has come out and said that they don't consider this a snub and that Anthony Hopkins was deserving, but the fact that Best Actor went to Anthony Hopkins and not to Chadwick Boseman for his performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which, I mean, I think it's ridiculous he wasn't nominated also for The Five Bloods. I mean, even if mm. he had not passed away this year, he still turned in two of the best performances of the year, just straight up. Yeah, well, I'm... I'm honestly, I'm glad there hasn't been any, like, outcry for this. I've heard Anthony Hopkins just absolutely was immaculate in his role as well. There is also some love for multiple films that we have talked about as our main feature on the show, including Daniel Kaluuya won Best Supporting Actor for Judas and the Black Messiah, and Soul took home both Best Animated Feature and Best Original Score. 
you love to see it, man. I I really liked both of those movies. So to see you know a little recognition on two films that are on wildly different like thematic spectrums as like a Pixar movie about the afterlife and a historic retelling of you know one of the darkest chapters of American history. I'm I'm really happy to see that both of them are getting the recognition that I think they deserve. And I mean especially I think that they're cuz you know Pixar they'll take home best animated feature pretty much every year unless it's like a Spider-Verse year, but the the soundtrack I think is more than deserving for Soul for that Oscar. Absolutely. 100% I agree. I mean, it's it's an immaculate film. I think like I know that Pixar does feel like the default best animated feature, but I mean, it's a really amazing feat. I think that film in general, and you can go listen to our episode and hear us fawn over it, but yeah, and um same thing with our Judas and the Black Messiah episode. You go back and you will hear us talking about how like heartbreaking, gut-wrenching that performance that Daniel Kaluuya gives of uh Chairman Fred Hampton. Like I still can hear his I am a revolutionary in my head. Like the the accent he uses and the conviction that he has in that role is just oh, well worth the Oscar. Absolutely. And then I was just going to throw Mank in there as well for best cinematography, which I think we all had a vague guess on. Uh, we were pretty impressed of how yes. that movie was shot and how it looked. And I, I didn't mean, it win yeah, two some... Oscars, both technical. Yes, it it also won production design, so not technical exactly, but behind the scenes. Right, right. Both awards that we we had a feeling that Mank was going to win a lot of like Hollywood Hollywood awards, and I feel like those definitely have that label well i mean i think a lot of people had a peg for best picture including probably us when it came out which i mean i think nomadland is a better film than mank i like mank fine and i think the, the awards it won it really deserved like a lot of people are kind of painting it with this oh it's black and white so of course it won best cinematography but there are some camera moves in that film that are so simple in their staging but so both good at emulating the style of Citizen Kane and just really impressive and creating a really interesting visual look. Yeah, man. I mean, for as much as we were like, oh, of course this is going to win a bunch of awards because it's all Hollywood dripping in old Hollywood, this and that. But, you know, it, it really deserved it. I mean, like you said, the impressive subtlety in some of the stuff that is trying to, like, maybe not emulate Citizen Kane, but like, you know, pay that homage to why it's such an iconic film. I think that that comes through more than enough and, and you know, I, I think that it's well deserving. I guess my point is that all of these awards we're talking about are well deserving. Yeah, for sure. But moving on in other movie news, Captain America four has been confirmed, starring Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, and it's going to be helmed by Falcon Winter Soldier showrunner Malcolm Spellman. News that could not be better, if you ask me. I mean, listen back every single week to our Howling Commando segment of the past six weeks, and you'll hear us just rave about this new form of, like, Marvel storytelling. It's so much... Like, Garrett, you especially, you you are comparing it to, I guess, the only other Marvel show, which is, is more than fair. And looking at Falcon and the Winter Soldier... And Captain America 4 is like this runway to this immaculate takeoff. I'm maybe even more excited about than something like Doctor Strange, which is more connected to WandaVision. I mean, that that's what I'm getting at, honestly, is that the idea of Malcolm Smellman being able to take the kind of hard-hitting, sharp-tooth insight that he gave Falcon and Winter Soldier... And putting that on the kind of scale of a blockbuster film, I hope Disney doesn't keep him tethered too much because I would love to see what he can do with Captain America 4. I mean, I think that's so great. And I think also the idea that they're specifically branding it as Captain America 4, it's not, you know, a new Captain America series. It's like, no, this is the, the continuation of the story of Captain America the title. Yeah, I, I love that too, especially with how much they set up in... Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I've been seeing a lot of speculation that they're going to be, as they did with the show, drawing a lot from the 
comic run Captain America Red, White, and Black, which is where a lot of the Isaiah storyline came from, about how, you know, like, the politics and the social effects of, like, having a black Captain America, I would be absolutely, you know, heartbroken, but so intrigued to maybe see flashbacks of a young Isaiah in the Korean War. And, like, kind of matching that that with what Sam is going through as a brand new Captain America, as we see him burgeon into at the end of the show. Yeah, that could be be really interesting. Obviously, I'm hoping John Walker's back. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing, is that U.S. Agent could be in play here. I just saw an article today about Julia Louis-Dreyfus and how they are specifically like, not wasting her as a character. Like, she's very invested in being a larger part of the MCU, so I don't know what that means specifically. This but... just in, this just in, Julia Louis-Dreyfus likes making money. <laughs> yeah, that really is the subtitle of every Marvel casting, but, hey, we were scared that... I guess I'm always scared that they're going to kill off really good villains played by really good actors too early, but I guess that's also me assuming that she's a full villain and not some kind of shady nah she's a villain i don't know what i'm talking about i was gonna say she's totally (laughs) a villain up next uh a trailer that premiered during the academy awards actually is steven spielberg's west side story and boy is it a weird one i never like through all the news of this remake i never considered it in my mind a gritty reboot, like a dark, gritty reboot. But this trailer to me made it seem like I should be like taking this sharks versus jets, like as legitimate gang violence and like, like taking everything way more seriously than how I view that original. I mean, I guess the original is still pretty damn serious when it comes to like murder and stuff, but yeah, but it's got that gritty reboot aesthetic of, like, what if we took all the iconography from the original <laughs> film of, like, the shadows and the whistling and the snapping and everything, but then we sucked all the color out of it yeah. and overlit it. And put it put it all under a slowed-down version of There's a Place for Us, and we'll just... We'll... Drop it during the Oscars and everybody will be frothing at the mouth. It's it makes me honestly more interested in this That's the thing. version. It really it it does, actually I will say that. I mean, I don't necessarily mean that in a positive way, but I'm much more intrigued about seeing it now than I was before. I wanna know how they're gonna do all the silly songs. Like there's a few goofy songs in that movie. Officer Krupke, come on. That's well, not I like mean, a serious But also I mean Officer Krupke is about the alienation of mistrust uh, and mistrust of authority, which, I mean, actually could, I think, be a lot more... The Krupke relationship could be played a lot more interestingly now than it probably was in the 60s. Honestly, you're probably right on that, but, you know, in my mind, I'm still just like... You know, as a little kid, I'm singing the Officer Krupke song because I'm like, oh, yeah, it's it's funny. They're talking about their messed up families and stuff. Now it's get it? they said crop you. Yeah, exactly. I ate that up as a kid, man. But now, like you said, they could really like actually <laughs> examine that kind of relationship between these low down youngsters and this truancy officer. What is he? I don't even know. It's, he's he's I, a guy. He's just a like a scummy detective. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I'm excited. Uh, There's a couple lines in the original music that I'm gonna be interested interested to see them do in a modern version i i i feel like it's almost like you know looking back at the lyrics of like greece that musical you're like whoa how is any of this under the radar but yeah i guess they never made a greece remake so it's gonna be interesting to see how they play all that like race stuff in the lyrics that they do i guess that's a big part point of the movie is their race relations but still mm-hmm I really wish they'd shown us some more of the music because that's the part of this I'm the most skeptical about. Spielberg's never made a musical. The closest I can even think of him getting to a musical is the opening number of Temple of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> that iconic, iconic song. I love that opening. But th- th- that's just what I'm saying is I'm st- I'm still not really confident that this movie's going to be good. And especially after, I mean... Th- just because these are the two musicals coming out this summer, 
after seeing In the Heights a couple weeks ago, I was so blown away by that that I'm not really super excited about this one. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. I mean, especially with all the risks involved with making a remake like this, I feel like it's going to have to really go above and beyond to meet the insane expectations that are being put on it. Spielberg had to have known that going in, though. Like, this isn't some kind of side remake project. This is, like, huge. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see how the marketing kind of ramps it up after this point. God help us. Well, I'm going to see it. Like you said, I'm interested enough to, like, give it a shot. So. Oh, right. Yeah, right now we've got it penciled in for when it, like, you know, doing it for the show. Perfect. I will be happy to sing on air with you. (laughs) Uh... But yeah, but in... let's move on to some other underwhelming stuff. The PlayStation State of Play. Yeah, what a bummer. I, should... I mean, we should preface with the fact that apparently, I didn't know this going into the State of Play, they had previously stated that it was going to be a shorter State of Play with only two indie games featured and the Ratchet & Clank 15-minute gameplay preview. But um, the two indies featured were Subnautica and Among Us. Uh, the new Subnautica, <laughs> I should say, which that new PS5 update for the original Subnautica being free is pretty exciting, especially since they just gave it away on Play at Home. That's pretty much what I was going to say. That that was one of the more exciting parts of the entire thing, which is like, oh, nice. I appreciate when a when a developer gives out that free upgrade. Among Us, um, I mean, they're, they're asking me to pay for a free game. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean... Among Us is fun, but it's also, like, pretty far after its time and also free on your iPhone. So it's going to be a hard sell, I think, unless there's more than the uh, exclusive Ratchet and Clank costume or whatever. I mean, that Clank pet thing is pretty cute. I won't lie. <laughs> I-, I can't argue that. Yeah, I- I'll-, I'll agree there. Because Ratchet and Clank totally fit the vibe of Among Us, too. Like, that was a really good call. <laughs> that collab. Well, you know, like I'm saying, I think... The the collaboration here might be a little late on the Among Us train in general. Like, I I don't know. Like I said, they're going to charge... I, I don't think they said how much they were charging for it, but I can only assume it's going to be like 15 bucks for this game. That's what I would assume, yeah. Which is $15 more than I'm comfortable paying for Among Us. So, yep. maybe it'll, it'll get a revival with this PS4, PS5 release, but yeah, I don't know. The main crux of the state of play, though, was this extended gameplay of the new Ratchet and Clank, a Rift Apart release that's coming out this year. Which, I mean, wow, looks, it, it looks spectacular. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. I mean, it it made me want to go back and jump on that uh, Ratchet and Clank reboot that they gave out a couple weeks ago, because I haven't tried that out yet, but I don't oh, know. You should, it's really fun. Yeah, I I think I'll have to because this new this new trailer, well, not entirely that exciting to me because I don't think I'll be getting this new Ratchet and Clank game. It just it kind of I don't know. It got me in the mood for some of that goofier, more cartoon based action fun. Well, I mean, the thing that I'm impressed by, and you know, trailers can be deceiving, of course, but the fact that they're showing us these full techno futuristic cities that are like open world and have all of these citizens milling about and stuff it's like it's just really impressive i think how much there is in this game how good it looks and i mean the real jaw dropper in this trailer for me was you're fighting a boss and then you rift to another arena and then the boss fight is still going so it's loading like a fast travel where that where there's no load screen and maintaining a boss fight during that transition. Yeah, that is impressive as hell no matter how you look at it. I mean, if anything this trailer was just like, look how powerful. Look how much we could do with this new hardware. And this is only like the first couple months into this new generation. So, it's got it's got me excited for the future. I was going to say this is like only the th- second or third high profile ps5 <laughs> exclusive and yeah. they're already looking this good god knows what the end like towards the end of this the ps5 generation it's gonna be unbelievable like you think about how the last of us came out and, like pushed the ps3 all the way to its limit of like look at what this system can do 
I can't even imagine what that is going to look like for the PS5. Oh, God, I can't wait. Last of Us Part 3. Maybe. Maybe. Probably something VR, though, right? Oh, God, I hope so. That PSVR 2, every time I see more details about the patents that Sony are, like, signing for it, it gets more exciting. But, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to play me some Ratchet and Clank. I'm excited about the adaptive triggers and the haptic feedback for all the different Ratchet and Clank guns. Oh, yeah, that was another big thing. It's like, Ratchet and Clank has always been about, like, let's give you 20 unique weapons to use and hold for the whole game. I'm sure they're going to make wonderful use of those triggers. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think if they had held off on, like, revealing who Rivet was until this state of play and stuff like that, it would have been less underwhelming. I think with a little bit more fanfare, it could have been really, you know, knock your socks off, because the gameplay they did show looked astounding. Oh yeah, definitely. But like you said, they kind of they kind of jumped the gun releasing that gameplay trailer far too close in proximity. But I guess the state of play has never been or I guess this year these last couple haven't been super uh over the top. I I was going to say like the last, I mean, the first one, like honestly the last one that I felt like felt like a true state of play was the one where they revealed the PS5. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, that was, what, two years ago? Oh, man. Mm, no, nah, it was more like a year ago. It was still, it was in the COVID time, Seamus. Oh, God, I honestly forget how long they waited to actually reveal the PS5. <laughs> like, that That was a whole saga that w- took forever. Well, I'm really excited to play some Ratchet & Clank. I'm excited to try out Subnautica with that PS5 upgrade. But let's move on to... The announcement that Billie Eilish has a new album, Happier Than Ever, dropping July 30th, and her new single just dropped earlier in the week called Your Power. Yeah, man. Did that did that music video sound super happy to you? <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I mean, not that... I don't think Billie Eilish's music is very happy in general. Right, yeah. It's, it, this is definitely an ironic... Uh, phrase i think and i think yeah. the, the album cover also she had you know i i think billy eilish very famously is not interested in the kind of pop star a typical glammed up look that young female artists are usually trying to show and i think that there is this kind of undertone throughout this this uh, new single and the album cover like she's you know has a little bit more of that traditional pop star femme look that so I think it's probably kind of commenting on her state as a uh, as a female artist in the public light and like kind of the unwanted attention that brings and also apparently Annie was telling me this that this album it sounds like it's going to be a lot about she had an abusive ex that i haven't watched the apple tv documentary yet but apparently she talks about in that documentary her abusive ex so oh i mean i I think there's a lot of undertones about like the way women are treated both in the public eye and domestically and uh i like that's coming through in the music to me for sure 100 percent. i mean from the single that i listened to this morning even even like the music video itself is very uh you know you use the giant anaconda classically in music videos to represent like you know phallic things and like seduction and stuff like that and you see this music video and she's just being slowly strangled pretty much by a giant boa constrictor and that i think plays exactly into the theme of like you know being controlled if if that is more about her past with her abusive partners or her suffocation feeling the pressures of being a a female artist in a in a community that kind of won't ever let her forget that she's a female artist um i really liked this single it it was a lot more acoustic-y sounding than i had anticipated from what i have heard of her music in the past but i i really enjoyed it all together and it, it felt like you know music with a purpose so i could really feel that yeah, it's definitely a different sound for her, but that's one of the things I think 
is really impressive about Billie Eilish is, you know, she's taken forays into different genres, different styles of, of music. And I mean, like even looking at her Bond song, right? Mm-hmm. But it all feels pretty distinctively like a Billie Eilish song, even with that. Yeah, I agree, man. It's it's impressive. I I wouldn't call myself like a Billie Eilish fan, but I'm impressed by this. And I have a feeling that the rest of this album that she's about to put out is going to be pretty dynamite. Yeah, I'm excited to I'm excited to listen and anticipate new singles. More strange music videos. I'm in. She does have weird music videos. That is the truth. Oh, you can't go wrong though. That's that's entertainment. <laughs> All right, should we should we move on to our main segment? Let's do it. For today's main segment, we're going to be talking about Gendy Tartakovsky's 2003 2D animated Clone Wars series that just got put on Disney Plus earlier this month. And of course, we're doing that in honor of the Bad Batch coming out on May 4th, which, you know, we're obviously super excited about uh, anticipating that. And so this kind of is a cute little way to tie in with some Star Wars stuff, talk about something that just came out on Disney Plus and definitely was a Star Wars staple of of my childhood. I don't know about you, Seamus. Oh, 100%. You know, back, back when Cartoon Network had their hands on Star Wars, this was like, you know, as a youngin, still like, completely enthralled with Star Wars, but not as much into the deep lore yet. This was fantastic to have this kind of micro television show on Cartoon Network. So yeah, we're, we're going to be covering um, the whole series. We're going to be jumping around some full spoilers for Gendy Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. But uh, there's technically three seasons, but my DVDs had it this way, and so does Disney Plus, that it was broken just into two volumes. So that season one, which is a bunch of like three minute shorts, uh, 20, I think three minute shorts are all in one segment. And then seasons two and three, which are a total of six 15 minute shorts are all in one volume. Uh, it was weird for me. To, like the last time I watched these, the last time I could even find them was like a YouTube rip of probably the DVDs. And I kind of... I don't know, I would have liked to see them in, like, the segments that they were originally aired in, but it is definitely nicer to have a streamlined version of just, like, the whole series in two parts. It's definitely more practical, especially season one, where, I mean, like, if you had to constantly go in and out of your Disney Plus screen and be like, yep, okay, here we go. (laughs) Yeah, every three minutes. (laughs) Though, I... I wanted that staticky Star Wars logo more than twice, if I'm being honest. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. that, that that's a big part of my nostalgia. Couple, there are definitely parts in in the season one at the end where you can tell they're cutting it off before the music. <laughs> oh yeah, I there there are a couple hard cuts to black that that feel like oh I guess that's where that one ended, but <laughs> yeah they they get you. And, I mean, this is a fascinating thing, because they were making these between the production of Episode 2 and Episode 3, and in Season 1, or I guess we should say Volume 1 and Volume 2, in Volume 1, everything looks like Episode 2, and then in Volume 2, everything looks like Episode 3, because they were closer to production. Yeah, I believe... I think the third, the second and third seasons started coming out like a month before, or no, a month after episode three had come out. So they were really hitting that hard to match with the movie. And it's kind of amazing to see that difference in the two when you get to switch over when you're watching this show. I mean, the animation also definitely gets to be a better quality when you get to volume two, but I'll say in general, I was really shocked at how good these look in HD. I was not expecting them to look good. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's because we remember it as very standardy definition. This is like truly, I think the best it's ever been put out. So it, it's jarring to say the least to see that kind of animation feeling so cleaned up but i i love it i want more of that weird long neck animation i also totally did not remember grievous being in volume one when he showed up at the end of volume one i was like what well yeah that's with uh 
Shaggy, right? That's the end yes. of. I did we did we mark like I guess this is a twenty year old mini series, but full spoilers though. Yeah, full spoilers. Uh, R.I.P. Shaggy. He, <laughs> we were talking before. He gets killed so fast. Like as iconic as this weird side character is, he's got thirty seconds of screen time before Grievous crushes his body. For those of you uh, not in the know. There is a sequence where a bunch of Jedi, including Kiadi Mundi, Shakti, Ala Secura, are all trapped in the wreckage of a Venator being hunted by General Grievous, and one of the scared Jedi, the most scared Padawan, is a guy who looks like Shaggy from Scooby Doo, and his name is Shaggy. And I mean, very <laughs> clearly, Scooby Doo was a pretty big influence on this series in general. I would say. On Star Wars? Scooby-Doo? No, 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 no. On the Clone Wars. Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Because just kind of like the like the humor style and the and the pacing, especially of Volume 2, I think feels very Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I, I feel that. But um, also, carrying on the proud tradition of Scooby-Doo in completely traumatizing, unsuspecting children. <laughs> oh, my God. Honestly, especially once... Like, Grievous gives a speech to these scared Jedi that is just, like, it's the equivalent of, like, real propaganda flyers dropping from planes. Like, you are you are already dead. Give up now. Pray to your god. It, it's chilling. It's wonderful. I think, I wonder if they had them to- tone it down a little bit. Because Volume 1, I think, is definitely more jarring in most ways than Volume 2. I, Not that yeah. Volume 2 doesn't have its share of weird gross whatever but but like you've got a lot of stuff in volume one that i think is like like that particularly sat with me as a kid of like oh i am unsettled by that like kiati mundi's padawan gets his head squeezed like he just his big long head gets crushed on screen it's yep. it's rough to see people getting massacred by this dude it's like you said it, it it's almost like how you see darth vader in the extended universe of Star Wars, where he's like, oh, this is the scary badass that all the legends are about in canon that you never see on screen during a live-action film, but this is exactly what that is. This is like Grievous Prime, no cough, fully shredding everybody in his path. The entire series, while we're talking about Grievous, I was I was like, does Grievous just not have his his other arms yet? Is that what <laughs> gets later? Because I forgot about the reveal where yeah. he kills our our poor Athorian and Tal's Jedi's. Ah, uh, makes me sad. Makes me want to see that those species as Jedi again. Like, dude had that big Force scream. That's a that's part of his species, I assume. I think the Athorian Jedi shows up in uh, the New Yoda Chronicles because there's a Lego of him for the New Yoda Chronicles. Huh. I I mean I know there's one there's an Athorian Padawan in the Clone Wars I think, but we all know what happens to the Padawans after the Clone Wars, so who knows? <laughs> also, I definitely had a toy of that Tal's. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I didn't know that. I I do remember the awesome action figures that were made for this show that were like really super stylized like They're the animation. Really cool. Oh, They're really cool. I I'm pretty sure I had like an Obi-Wan somewhere that I would kick myself in the ass for losing like 10 years ago anyway, but I went to um I went to Star Wars Celebration 2019 and I was surprised at how cheap actually those seem to be like really if you like you go to a vendor you can pick up an obi-wan for like 10 bucks still in the box well sheesh i need to get to star wars celebration honestly get some pins get some figures this art style lends itself really well i think to action figures i think there's a little i think the uh, the episode three models look a little wonkier than the volume one episode two models to me, of Obi Wan and Anakin, for some reason, I don't know why. I think, I think the hair is just off putting on both of them. Yeah, maybe that's it. They, they they do that fake out at the start of I think season two, where it's like you see a long haired Jedi and a short haired Jedi through the fog, and you're like, oh, I know who each one of those is, and then they reveal that it's the Episode three models, and it just is like, oh, that's 
That's jarring. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Uh oh, uh, real quick, I want to talk about uh, in volume one. I think we should just bounce around to, like our favorite parts. Yeah, definitely. I, that's what I was gonna do. I want to talk about the whole dirge the bounty hunter fight with obi-wan another thing that definitely scarred me as a kid yeah the freaking parasite jousting i mean granted i love the like squad of cis assassin droid like ig assassin droids that are jousting on the uh speeder bikes like that's oh yeah kick ass uh we get to see obi-wan in like, full clone Jedi armor, which is... Clone helmet and everything. Like, with the cape, it looks awesome. Like, he is rocking that. And Dirge is this bounty hunter who's in full body armor, and underneath is just, like, a sinewy mass of tissue. He doesn't seem to have, like, a specific corporeal form other than what he shapes into his armor for. Yeah, it's like big worm monster stuffed in a suit of armor. And he's able to regenerate and, and like, the Iron Giant reattach his limbs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. There's a couple fake-outs with him where Obi-Wan thinks he's got him down, but, I mean, there's that great showdown at the end with all the clones that just, like, full uh, clone barrage attack on that thing like do, do they even say what species it is or is that just like a one-off thing for this I think that's show just a one-off thing though it sounds like he's coming back to canon it sounds like he's gonna be in maybe the new dr afra comic oh that would be awesome because he as weird of a side character as he is he's iconic enough like i would recognize him by sight and you know but the thing that really disturbed me when i was a kid was when he when obi-wan gets swallowed up in his sinew and then he has to for- force push explode him outward. yeah oh man very men in black style execution nasty also uh this show just it just can't get enough of like three or four shots of clones absolutely firing into like just a blue <laughs> whatever they're firing at yeah and then the rocket trooper guy running forward kneeling and then <laughs> that rocket in oh yes ooh that beautiful original battlefront 2 style bazooka rocket launcher gotta love it there is so much in here where i'm like oh i feel like i'm playing battlefront yeah oh man or if we're getting if we're really going back the cartoonnetwork.com flash games that were associated with the series i did not play those oh dude perfection chef's kiss they were like it was like there was a jousting one where you're Obi-Wan versus all the IGs, and then there's one where you play as Kit Fisto underwater on Mon Calamari, and then I think there was a spaceship one where you're Anakin chasing Ventress. And Dude, dude bring back Kit Fisto underwater lightsaber stuff. Yeah! I mean... Awesome! Like, between that and watching... uh. The rain sizzle on a lightsaber during the Anakin Ventress fight. Like, that's cool. All that is a cool idea to just play with what a lightsaber would do in regular, like, physics. Which, they do a little bit of that in Last Jedi. They do a little bit of rain stuff in Last Jedi. God, do do they? I, <laughs> I'm sorry, Octo, I barely remember. Yeah, on Octo they do. Well, apparently it didn't hit me as hard as this short animation, so... I mean, they do not focus on it the same way that this that they do in the they show. make it very clear what's happening with lightsabers and i mean they they think act they, they correctly think that that's a really cool visual oh to yeah focus on and ventress i mean i'm used to and we're, we're going to talk about the legacy of the show a little bit more during our pop culture reference but from the from the 2008 3d animated clone wars which contradicts this pretty hard um I'm used to Ventress not being quite so sadistically evil. <laughs> yeah, she she is like, I don't know, it was almost like a Cruella DeVille of like, how can you be this, like, casually sinister all the time? I don't know. And, I mean, I, I'm assuming that her backstory is still intact, that she is a fallen Jedi Padawan in this version, because she's still got those blue and green lightsabers when she shows up. Yeah, that is true. Uh, you know, we'll maybe get into more of this during the pop culture reference, but I feel like so much of what this show, uh, set up in the background, like even with 
you know, subtle stuff like that, or, uh, no, I guess episode three was already released by the time Anakin is, like, getting his face scar and yeah, all that, but, I don't know, for, for as much as they changed, they definitely drew a lot from this show as, like, that's exactly what we need to be in, like, the back of people's minds when we write this character for the future. Well, again, I'm going to touch on this more during the reference, but I really do think that this series has as much of an influence on contemporary Star Wars as the actual prequels do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, this was like, this was big when we were growing up and this was like the only new Star Wars that we could get between movies, you know, now that there's like shows and games and so much that we could consume. This was like, this was it. This was the big like culmination of what the Attack of the Clones was all about. And... I don't know. I'm I'm glad to see, and I hope to see, you know, more in the future. Since it looks like Disney is gonna milk the prequel era for all it's worth, uh, I would like to see more of the stuff that was set up in this Tartakovsky series to to make a comeback, even if just for like visual reference or you know background, just to to flesh out the world. I want to see that werewolf Jedi guy. Where's he at? Werewolf Honestly, Jedi. Um, I think the writing on this show is not super good but it definitely has very strong visuals that carry it through and the visual storytelling itself i think it like the storytelling is good even if the even if i feel like the actual dialogue writing isn't good if that makes sense no i feel you i mean that you could say a lot of that about the prequel era in general i think <laughs> that the dialogue maybe is not the strong point but then again watching it in two parts you realize how little they speak in this show like there are full big chunks of time where it's just action and just visual storytelling where it's like look at how powerful this one person is or how this tactic is being achieved like when it's just the arc troopers taking down the anti-aircraft cannons it's it's great definitely that's definitely the most iconic bit i think from this series is the arc trooper segments yeah, that and, I mean, I can never get Kung Fu Mace Windu out of my head. Like, that's <laughs> something I wish they, t- like, did with Sam Jackson, you know? Like, that is such a cool idea that he can just rapid-fire, like, Donnie Yen-style chest punch a uh, super battle droid into pieces. Like, that's awesome. Once again, um, I think this show is picking up on something that the prequels aren't smart enough to do, which is making the Jedi not just, like, super lightsaber guys and giving them each a personality. And I think especially the way it handles Yoda, for the most part. Most of Yoda's combat is using the the, the Force yeah, in smart ways, not just flipping around with the lightsaber. And same thing with Mace Windu, of giving him this kind of distinct fighting style that seems more like he's channeling the Force than he is just using brute force. Yeah, and I mean... Also, real quick, uh, Yoda on that, like, mount that he has when he does have a lightsaber is pretty awesome, too. I think that's a, a cooler visual, like, watching Yoda ride into battle than, like, doing his frog flip thing. Yeah, absolutely hard to agree. But the reason I brought up the whole visual storytelling versus dialogue thing is I think the Padme-Anakin scenes are pretty cringy. Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, pars- come on. Partially because I think the, the voice that they're using for Padme just sounds really bad. I mean, uh, and it's, the voice actor is Grey Delisle, who also plays, you know, Asajj in this series. Yeah, it's a lot of doubling up voices. Uh, I also think there's, <laughs> I know they were going for like an episode two thing, but like Anakin's voice, man, come on. That's, <laughs> come, yeah. master, I will go do this, master. I guess that is... <laughs> That is very episode two, but God, was it jarring. Um, and I mean, Matt Lucas did the voice for Anakin for so much stuff in this era, like the action figures, the the video games. Oh, did the, he really? Know, Before they switched yeah. to uh, the new... Matt Lanter. Yeah, Matt Lanter. He's... And I mean, I think it's better in volume two when he's not trying to be so episode yeah. two I agree for but... sure. I think in volume one, one of the best scenes in this entire series is Anakin taking off in his starfighter 
and then putting his hand on the window and looking at Padme. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that was good stuff. What great storytelling. And it makes me care so much more about those characters' relationship than, honestly, anything in the prequels even does. Like, <laughs> that's such a strong visual. Yeah, I I'm mean... I'm like, oh, that's great. They can sneak around all the alleys they want on Coruscant, but, like... Yeah, he looks the way he looks at her in that shot where he's got his hand up on the glass is very, very real. For I mean, for a cartoon, it it definitely gets the emotions across of like just pure devastation for having to leave her all the time. And yeah, I agree that that's pretty pretty fantastic. Also, sexy C three PO. Sexy C three PO is wonderful. Gold plating. He really gives him a show. Uh. <laughs> I guess, I, I don't know, That that's pretty fun. They do a lot of that, where they're, like, bridging the gaps of, like, oh, he has gold plating, this is how Anakin gets his uh, black metal arm, this is how, or uh, his black gloved metal arm, uh, the transition I... of, like, the old starfighters to the one from episode three. Same thing with the clones, is that yeah. they, they transition the clones. Phase one to phase two. Commander Cody is in the second season, which is pretty wild. As a, like... <laughs> no nonsense kind of dumb clone <laughs> yeah he, he, just, he it's cody if he couldn't read the room basically <laughs> he's just like yeah three more months right on schedule i really like how weary obi-wan is in this show in general like i think that's very consistent with his with his character mm-hmm. and also just makes me think of how and they dive into this in the comics and the books a little bit and i'm hope hopefully on the obi-wan show as well just that this guy that's just so kind of tired all the time, and then he just is stuck on Tatooine for 20 years. Oh, God. I <laughs> uh, I can't wait for that show. But even here, like, just him sitting in the rain, the talents of the lovely James Arnold Taylor, who makes... He, who, he's uh, so good. He's the best. He, he's... One of like whenever I hear his voice, I perk up. So I'm I'm glad they carried that over to the 2008 Clone Wars, obviously, because he is so good as Obi Wan specifically. But that wariness really comes through in this one when he's <laughs> a lot in uh, like the second and third uh, seasons, where the main focus is on Anakin and like his getting through his final trial, basically, where he does kind of take that background. Uh, master to the padawan role a little more than we see it in you know obviously in episode three when they are like more mutual jedi knight brothers yeah once again doing a really good job of trying to bridge that gap of like making them feel like their relationship evolved and not just happened off screen like trying to show why that in episode two is anakin so reckless and obi-wan you know doesn't is constantly having to clean up after him and then in episode three they're like they're brothers yeah yeah uh man and i even like that foreshadowing of he's like you know i'm your i'm your master now but i think it's time that we become brothers like that and then going into episode three that like hits really hard yeah for real uh yeah god that that ceremony the knighting ceremony that anakin goes through uh there's another moment there's a couple moments like that where it's, like, very specifically we haven't seen any of that in, like, the other Clone Wars or the films. And it's, it's like, moments like that where you can only kind of assume that that is still partially canon. Because, I mean, I pretty much assume that's how it went down based on this show. That's how I picture it, yeah. It's like that and, uh, I don't know, I, getting his facial scar and, like, showing Padme. I almost want them to... Like use Hayden Christensen in this Obi Wan show for flashbacks. In I assume it's gonna be flashbacks anyway, but I assume that yeah. I would love to see maybe him getting his facial scar, or honestly, we've never seen that cool blue slug tattoo thing he does in this show in any other iteration. And I think seeing that again would be kick ass. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love. All of the Vader foreshadowing in this, the the I have you nows, oh yeah, and the most impressives. It's there, the the great. I mean, and you can see stuff like this, obviously directly inspired by this 2003 series in the 3D Clone Wars. But like 
the big wall tapestry of the history of the tribe that they're working with and how that yes. directly is an allegory to him like using power to destroy power and then getting consumed by the power and I mean it's not a subtle metaphor but it definitely oh, no. is something that they do more in the 3D clone wars where you see these visions of like inevitable evil that he has to keep wrestling with also speaking of the of the 2008 clone wars is this the first time we ever see Ilum? Like, I don't know when Ilum kind of came into play in Oh, yeah. Concept. I don't know. I mean, I guess it must have been, right? I mean, there's some stuff that you learn, like, oh, Macquarie, like, had that in mind from the very beginning. Right, yeah. Uh, and had concept art for it in the 80s. You're like, oh, why? So, <laughs> I'm lo- I'm, uh, here, let me look it up and see. Yeah, go for it. It first appeared in a junior novel in 2001. Oh, so, I mean, still pretty close to when this came out, but... So, I mean, I would say they probably, you know, just pulled that fact from that book, would be my guess. And then, obviously, you know, it's a huge part of Star Wars lore now with... Fallen Order and the 2008 Clone Wars series and, you know, Episode 7. Yeah, oh man. It's, uh, like I said, seeing that kind of, I guess it wasn't introduced in this series, but it was more popularized because of it, no doubt. And, you know, you get people who are working on modern stuff like, uh, Mando and, like, new Clone Wars Bad Batch and you see them pulling a lot of this more obscure, more subtle stuff that's been established for decades now and just, like, making it exactly what it needs to be in full canon lore. And I'm, I'm really, like I said, I'm hoping we see, like, come on, Filoni, start digging into the Tartakovsky vaults. Oh, yeah, like, it's, like he wasn't doing it for... <laughs> yeah, like... For 10 years before this. Uh, I Not want more subtlety. actually... He actually worked on this show, Dave Filoni did. Oh, did he really? This was his... That's what he was... He was originally hired to be a writer on this show. No kidding. And that's when, like... So, like, he went in and he had a meeting with George Lucas and everything else. And well, Maybe hell. he wasn't a writer. Maybe he was... He was, some, he was something on this show. I, I want to exactly. say that's what he was doing, uh... Before his, you know, rise to the kingdom of Star Wars was just, he was doing a lot of writing stuff, so. But yeah, and then that obviously turned into this. So yeah, okay, I'm having a hard time finding it, but I I am fairly certain that, okay, I'm pulling this from the Mandalorian behind the scenes thing. Okay. That he said in an interview that he was hired for that. So... Out there on social media, if you guys know what I'm talking about, if I'm completely out of my mind, if you have the clip that confirms what I'm saying, that Floney actually worked on this show, please let me know, because I actually do not know off the top of my head, and I can't find it now. But I'm pretty sure that he worked on this show, and that's how his relationship started with Lucasfilm. Well, thank God. Like, we see what his Star Wars career has burgeoned into now, so... You know, hey, maybe he will go back to those roots of his and really pull the deep stuff. I'm telling you, Shaggy prequel series with the werewolf Jedi. We got to do Grievous prequel with his original voice. I want to see those weird shaped droid underwater ships on Mon Calamari. Always love those. So cool. Yeah, that was part of the. Same that was part of that those, Flash game. <laughs> with those little, uh, with those little underwater clone troopers with their little backpack their yeah. little rescue heroes backpack <laughs> yeah that was great oh man i also i remember that mon calamari stuff being way longer but that's that's season one when they have the old starships and the old venator class destroyers and but yeah this is like i think this is a really solid show that Definitely some of the action goes on too long, I'd say, and, <laughs> and the writing is not the best. If you're a Star Wars fan, especially if you just are looking for something to, to kind of have on when you're in the Star Wars mood, but you don't necessarily have time for any, a, a, even a full episode of Clone Wars or something, this is definitely something to, to, to put on and just enjoy 
yeah, it enjoyable is such a good way to put it because it's yeah, it's not really canon anymore as much as it used to be. It's got plenty of prequel problems and just like restraints as it, you know, 3 minute shorts, you can't do everything you want to, but it's entertainment, man. It's it's well worth the watch. I love the new vintage Star Wars category on Disney Plus where you can find it and yeah, for real. I I'm glad that it's finally in HD, I guess, is the main thing. It's like finally the best quality it could be. So yeah, let's segue over to our pop culture reference where we're actually going to talk more about this show's legacy. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about the legacy of the 2003 Gendy Tartakovsky Clone Wars and how, despite not being technically quote-unquote canon anymore, it really has shaped so much of what's come since and like really some of the most iconic Star Wars content of the modern Star Wars era. Yeah, it started off uh, filling the time between episodes of other cartoons on Cartoon Network, run as a miniseries, as... I I don't want to say promo for Star Wars as a franchise, but definitely to close some of the gaps between Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, and Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Certainly, and... I mean, we talked in our main segment about a lot of the things that we're going to talk about now, which is, you know, closing those gaps, showing C-3PO's gold plating, uh, showing Anakin's new hand, his scar, things like that. But I think what is way more interesting to talk about with this series is the way that these things that have been introduced in this show have been carried over to so much of, like, the other Star Wars content that's come after it. Specifically, I, I mean, Asajj Ventress is a huge Star Wars character that is really a, a bit player in this series, but, you know, is super famous, is in most of the Clone Wars 2008 series run. Like you said, she, her, General Grievous, um, a lot of the subtleties of what Palpatine is doing behind the scenes a lot of this is carried over to what is considered one of the highlights of the prequel era which is the 2008 Clone Wars a lot of that is carried over due in part to as we were saying before Dave Filoni being the showrunner of the 2008 Clone Wars revival uh, having been a part of this 2003 2D animated version if I'm not mistaken it has to be that it was like tech, like the 2008 Clone Wars pretty clearly contradicts this series anyway. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Between the, like, between the absence of Ahsoka and like the general themes of Anakin growing as like a Jedi through being a, he wasn't a master. I know that much. What is he? He's a knight. A knight. What do they? What do you call a knight with a padawan? teacher i don't know what to say here but like a lot of the themes in the 2008 clone wars with ahsoka and all of the like her contributions to the greater lore of anakin and obi-wan's story it's i'm basically trying to say yeah you're 100 percent right that is like as soon as the uh feature length premiere of the 3d animated clone wars came out it there was no question of whether or not the Tartakovsky stuff was still in canon. But there's also no question that that wouldn't exist without this 2003 Clone Wars. And by extension, that means, I mean, Filoni's entire involvement in Star Wars, going through Rebels, The Mandalorian, you know, like, so much of modern Star Wars, the stuff that people love about modern Star Wars, wouldn't be there if it weren't for this 2003 Clone Wars series. That is absolutely true and like pretty much everything else that revolves around the prequel era just the way they're each so different and unique elevates the other one to no end like you can appreciate so much more in the 3d clone wars after watching the 2d and vice versa and i mean not to mention the fact that you can't tell me that i mean obviously the battle front games from the original battlefront games had a lot to do with the popularity of the clones 
But you can't tell me that these clones depicted in the 2D one don't have to do with the popularity of clones in general and the popularity of the new Battlefront games. Oh, 100%. And especially you can see so much inspiration from the clone stuff and a lot of the action sequences from the clones, you can see a lot of that inspiration in the newest seventh season of The Clone Wars, which came out last year, or two years ago. Yeah, funnily enough, I think the seventh season of The Clone Wars is the one that seems the most directly influenced by this season. Maybe that's because it's covering so much of the same ground of, like, setting up the Battle of Coruscant Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff, but... Yeah, overall, its status in Star Wars canon does not take away at all from its influence on the greater prequel era. Yeah, 100%. Alright, with that, what do you say we kick it on over to the rec center, Garrett? Let's do it. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly rec-amendations. Garrett, do you know what you got this week? You know, I've been thinking about it, and I've been playing... Uh, a Switch I checked out from my local library, a Nintendo Switch I checked out from my local library, and I think I'm gonna have to recommend Tetris 99, which I assume anybody that has a Switch knows about, but I think it is just such a fun reinvigoration of the Tetris brand, the idea that you're playing against 98 other players online. It's, It's taking, you know, a classic video game that's on every console you can imagine and breathing new life in it through the battle royale genre which is the hot ticket right now and i think it's really fun i i find it more challenging than pretty much any other tetris mode i've ever played and i really think that if you are a nintendo switch owner you can you can get it free downloaded with uh nintendo online so with your Nintendo Online membership, which I think is pretty cheap, like $20 a year or something if you get it at the right time of year. Oh, damn. And it's just a terrific game. Lots of different modes, icons to unlock. Every game feels different. And there's an unpredictability about it, which is which I think is invigorating as well. Honestly, I am not a huge fan of the Battle Royale craze, but... If there is any kind of game that would benefit from that added tension and that competitive element, I think Tetris is such a cool way to incorporate that. And honestly, it makes me a little sad that it isn't on a PlayStation because I would play the hell out of that. I've, I've seen footage and it looks like a blast. So, yeah, I think if I ever get a Switch, maybe we'll have to, you know, squad up, take each other on. Yeah. What do you got, Seamus? Well, I'm keeping it on brand this week, Garrett. Uh, I have the Star Wars, the Clone Wars Omnibus Number 1 on my shelf. One of my favorite, like, Christmas gifts I ever got. It's a lot, I don't remember how many exactly, but it's a good run of the first bit of the Dark Horse Clone Wars series that they started uh, the exact same year as the Tartakovsky animation. And it actually, you know, I'm not sure which one came first. I assume these comics were running a little earlier because there's a lot of cool expansion on early Asajj Ventress stuff. Uh, Dirge the Bounty Hunter makes his appearance there and is very interesting. He talks a lot more. Uh, You know, just like a lot of really cool ideas that you can see getting picked out and translated into the animations that were to follow it, but it's so of the same cloth that the Tartakovsky animation is is of as well that I think it's a great companion. Uh, I looked it up before the show. It's like $400 on Amazon for some reason. I don't Whoa. don't know why, but if, you, if they ever reprint it, get your hands on it, I think it's like a dollar on certain... Uh, web-based comic providers, but it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of there's a great arc on. Uh, oh crap! Crap! Now I'm forgetting his name. He's the Jedi who's like undercover. He's got the gold streak over his face. Quinlan Voss, baby. Yeah, Voss has a great arc in this. It introduces him in like a really 
fun, slimy way as his like role on the in the Jedi Order, and I don't know. It's it's a little old, two thousand three, but like I said, great companion to the series we talked about today. It's a shame so many of those old out of print Star Wars comics go for so much money and so few of them are available um legally digitally mm. and it's just it it is very sad because you would think that Disney would want to prioritize getting some of that older stuff out there like I had uh, a Kanan comic that I was lucky enough to snag on eBay for like 30 bucks I got the Kanan omnibus ooh from very Rebels. nice but it's it goes for like 80 100 bucks often on eBay I I got really lucky with being able to snag it but I would be very interested uh, when we're back in person, Seamus, and maybe borrowing that omnibus from you because I've not read any of those old Clone Wars comics. Oh man, it! I will lend it to you happily. It is, like I said, if you like this series we talked about today, this is exactly what will help complement that. So, well, that's that's great, Seamus. Thank you so much for that rec center. That's gonna wrap us up for this week's episode. We'll be back with more Star Wars next week. For the Bad Batch, like, 90-minute series premiere. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. So I'm pretty excited about that one. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Find us on Instagram at that same handle. Like us on Facebook. Email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. I'm at Strother Garrett on all my socials. You can find me there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at walkofshamus. Uh, I have no other socials you can find me at, but follow the show everywhere else. Uh, visit our YouTube page, Facebook, give us a like, give us a subscribe, rate us. Uh, that helps a ton if you haven't rated the show on iTunes or anywhere that you listen. Please consider dropping uh, five stars and a quick review. That would probably help us more than you would ever know. Yeah honestly goes a long way it really does with analytics with metrics with everything but uh other than that i think we'll see you next week adios amigos